Sorry, I think you skipped water. Welcome, everybody, to another exciting episode of No Lights, No Camera Action. And uh, today, uh, I, I'm joined, as always, by my good friend, Jacob. Hello, everybody. I'm sure you're very surprised that I'm here after, what, 30 episodes? <laughs> oh, oh, gosh, what episode is this, actually? 28, actually, now I think about it. 28, mm. not counting April Fool's Day. Well, I mean, should be counting April Fool's Day. Uh, yeah, I but guess. I wasn't... I get well. No, you were you were there. You were just yeah, but I was I was in... body swapped, so it was a weird situation. Yeah. <laughs> oh god. And also, that wasn't part of the main show. Anyway, what are you talking about? It it was the 18th anyway. uh, movie we watched for our number challenge, which but we're not <laughs> doing an actual number challenge. No, that'd be. That'd be goddamn ridiculous. Um, yeah, twenty million is going to be a tough one. Yeah, <laughs> we'll run out of movies by then. Being the issue. <laughs> yeah. Anyway, um, so we've got a very special uh, new segment to introduce you guys today. Wait, those aren't the sound effects for the new segment. Oh, I guess we might as well do this segment too. Why not? <laughs> yeah, to because to tie into what is actually our new segment, uh, we're we're gonna make some movies, uh, that are, uh, more. We're gonna make more crossover films because I absolutely loved the last time we did this, um. So specifically this time around to go along with the theme, uh, we'll have to make a movie uh, where two characters face off against each other from uh, different franchises. So, uh, for, for yours, would you like a director, an actor, or an actress first? Let's go with actress this time. Actress, all right. Just tell me when to stop. Stop. Emily Blunt. Ooh, nice. Nice. Now let's go director. Director, alright. Now. Jordan Peele. Okay, interesting. Uh, this might be his whitest movie yet. <laughs> <laughs> And tell me when to stop for actor. Stop. Chris Pratt. All right. <laughs> that's 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 a very interesting and never going to happen in real life combination. 
Uh, I'm going to start with my director. <coughs> All right. James Gunn. Ooh, I like All that. Right. Uh, <laughs> I used your sneeze as the cue of when to stop. Robert Downey Jr. as my actor. Okay. Okay. Alright. Interesting so far. Interesting. And then I'll stop there. Emma Stone. Okay. Wow. That's wow, that's pretty solid across the board there. Uh but in all seriousness, we do have a very fun new segment, which will hopefully become a recurring segment. Um, but uh today we're just gonna do a bunch by a bunch I mean four uh entries for this segment. So without further ado First rule of Fight Club is you do not talk about Fight Club. Second rule of Fight Club is you do not talk about Fight Club. That's right. Uh, today we're going to be looking, doing sort of a death battle-esque thing where we're going to take two film characters and uh, analyze them to figure out who would win in a fight to the death. Although I must say, regarding the intro song, I'm, I was um, prior to this, I was wondering whether or not you're going to try, like, since we're basing this off of like death battle style rules, like the internet show. Uh, for anyone that's never heard of that, I recommend going to watch an episode of that. It's pretty good. Uh, they've changed the theme for that show, uh, and the old thing they used to use, I think, is technically like able to be used by just about anyone. Which is why they switched it. Oh. I was wondering okay. whether you're going to include that, but I didn't want to bring it up in case I was wrong about that fact. Yeah, that's what, yeah. I, I figured I'd just throw. I, I mean, obviously, I had to throw in the Fight Club clip, <laughs> and then actually, I didn't know what other clips I was going to throw in there. And then watching Madagascar escape to Africa gave me that second clip, <laughs> and then I was like, "Ooh, the final fight from Aladdin," because I. Honest, like that's honestly one of my favorite fight scenes in any movie. Really? Yeah. It, it just cause it's just so creative. Like I love the again. I've talked about this on the podcast before, but I love how Jafar. I mean, he's got he he can pretty much do anything with his magic, and he prefaces every magic attack with a pun. And I love it. And then the way at the end... Okay, that, you cut out there. Sorry. Oh, it just I just love how Jafar prefaces all his magic attacks with puns. Hmm. And also um, the fact of, like, just Aladdin tricking Jafar into 
throwing the fight by becoming more powerful, but subsequently getting trapped in the lamp. That it it's just like it, oh, it's just I just, I really love it. I I I I can't say enough good about Aladdin. It's it's so good. Kind of reminds me of the inner Doctor Strange. Now that you mention it, with the yeah, yeah, that's another really good one. With the outwitting instead of outpowering the villain. Exactly. Um, I think I think for the most part, for me, fights where like the the victor wins by outsmarting their opponent is kind of fun. Yeah, yeah, it is. Definitely. Which is part of the reason why I like JoJo. Anyway, we're not talking about that. We're talking about, like, eight other things. Yeah. Um, so which... Which fight should we start with? Well, since it was the one that inspired this episode, I think it's only right to start off with Megamind versus Gru. Yeah, and also speaking of, um, outsmarting, uh, (laughs) yeah, the, uh, obviously, uh, a battle between... Two villains turned heroes, um, and oddly, like, because in addition to watching, we watched a lot of movies to we prepare watched a for lot this. Of movies. Um, and um, I also watched uh, some of the Cinema Sins videos on these movies just to gauge better, because like I figured anytime oh, Jeremy you, says you cut out the Cinema Sins. I I just figured that anytime Jeremy would say they uh they survive this would be good to jot down. I mean that's one way to find durability feats. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> that's certainly one way to do it. Um But um Yeah, uh, uh, what was I going to say? Oh, as he points out it's very weird that these two movies, that Despicable Me 1 and Megamind came out the exact same year. Oh, really? Wow. Yeah, like, and that. they just have <laughs> such remarkably similar concepts. And at first I was like, well, they're owned by the same company, so like... But it's- no, Illumination is different from DreamWorks. Well, yeah, but I my thought process was they're both owned by Universal. But back then, uh, DreamWorks wasn't owned by Universal, actually. Oh, right. Wow. Yeah, DreamWorks got bought out later on. Um, oh, I forgot about that. Yeah, so... Yeah, that... So it is very weird. I mean, this this kind of thing happens all the time in the film industry, usually between Disney slash Pixar and DreamWorks. Um, in fact, DreamWorks... Like a pants. Yeah, I mean, I mean, many of DreamWorks films are just spun from, like, Katzenberg's, um, grudge against the others at Pixar. Like Shrek. The yeah. one where it's just the grudge against Disney as a concept. Yeah, yeah. But then you've got, like, Shark Tale, you've got... An example that a lot of people forget about, which we'll get into later, uh, Madagascar and The Wild. What's The the Wild? What? You haven't heard of The Wild? I'm familiar with the hockey team, The Wild, but... Uh, The Wild... (laughs) The Wild was a film that... so, So basically, before Disney bought out Pixar... Their, their contract with Pixar was about to expire, and they were looking for 
new computer animation studios to make movies for them. And they found this independent studio. I forget what they're called. I'm going to look that up quick. Um, but they started working on this movie called The Wild. And DreamWorks caught wind of this and released... Oh, shit, this movie! Yeah! Oh, shit, I've seen this movie! Jesus yeah! <laughs> yeah! It's, uh... Oh, crap, and it's also got Eddie Izzard, who I just saw in an episode of Hannibal, of all things. Um, but yeah, yeah, this is, yeah. Um, and yeah, so, th so that's another situation that people often forget about. Uh, mostly because, for once, DreamWorks made the better version. <laughs> um... I mean, not much better, I don't think, but anyway, uh, let's get into analyzing Gru versus Megamind. Um, we'll take a look at- a good at... place to start with this is arguably to narrow down, like, officially for like, the sake of this discussion, uh, what their arsenals are going to be, because Gru and Megamind have, like, weirdly nebulous arsenals for having very specific things yeah yeah so we we have to figure out obviously like okay for clarification uh we're basing this off of death battle rules like at the mission earlier so for death battle uh something is part of an arsenal like something's part of a character's arsenal if it's something that they can access or have on them or can do basically at any given time so if it's a power that they don't need like a very specific like person or resource for they they can just pull they can use that in the fight and and other characters cannot be used as a part of the fight unless they can be considered part of the person's arsenal so say like if they can just summon them at will be part of a fight yeah so that raises an interesting question for both of these because they both have minions of sorts Yes, uh, Gru has the minions, and Megamind has both Minion and the Brain Drive. Now, Minion is a, his own distinct character. I don't think he should be included in the arsenal at all. Yeah. But I, the Brain Bots have a more interesting case to be made. Yeah, I also feel like, e even though, like, Gru can tech, I mean, like, the minions are pretty much at his beck and call. I feel like it's unfair mm -hmm. to include them because they are literally indestructible canonically. True, but uh, that's the that's the tricky thing, really, because if they can, because if Gru could technically just summon them at will, they would be considered part of the arsenal. However, the one thing that I will say for that is that if we do give them the minions, it's decently likely that if he could summon them, it would take time because. He just grew does not always have minions just near him. Typically only has those wings going off on like villainy missions or if he's at his house. Yeah, yeah, that's fair. Which obviously this would be. So even if depend. we gave him minions, there'd be a decent amount of time before they could show up and that and then might got them to not even matter in the fight, depending on Yeah. Um Yeah. And also like it, de death battle specifically is like these characters do not have time to prepare for the fight. It is just, like, they meet each other and fight. <laughs> yeah. It's like, I remember I once heard them describe, like, 
because I occasionally like need to describe like re-explain this every so often for like because like during their podcast they'll go over questions for the fight and that style thing like why didn't they use X or why wasn't Y involved is like a weirdly common question to be asked. <laughs> yeah, so they need to re-explain that. And I have already lost track of what I was about to explain. Explain right, sorry. Uh, and for the not knowing X or Y about the other person, like they just like they weren't heard to describe it as it is like the meeting up is the equivalent of they both went to a bar they'd never heard of before and then bumped shoulders and started fighting right there. Yeah, yeah. But that's the level of knowledge and preparation that they have. They don't even with zero, and one of them might be drunk, but rarely are they drunk. That's that's just the character trait. Anyway, we're getting off topic. <laughs> yeah. Um. So. Um. Yeah. All, also, uh, we should mention uh, another inspiration for this particular fight was a that it would be a cool fight to analyze, given the very similar characters slash movies, um, and b. Um, Jacob and I both wanted an excuse to watch Megamind again. Yep. <laughs> which, I mean, holds up way better than I think yeah. anyone expects it to. Yeah, it really, it's still a really good movie. Everyone should go and watch if they have the chance. Yeah, like, it's definitely an underrated one in DreamWorks catalog. Like, it's, it's not as bad as you would think it is. Um... <laughs> In fact, it, it's so weird. I Some parts of me think it's actually... Like, I, I still stand by the fact that I think Despicable Me 1 and 2 are some of the best non-Disney or Pixar animated films of the past decade. Um, But, um... I think... Me Megamind, I think, is better in some places uh, as a yeah, movie. Yeah, I can give you that. Like, in all fairness, they're, like, also, like, despite the fairly similar premises, they're also, like, fairly different kinds of movies. Yeah, they, they take very different approaches to these, like... Yeah, and they also use those approaches to tell, like, different stories entirely. Yeah, like... Because one of the, like, just, just to go off, like, just with me, one and Megamind, one's about... Essentially, like, essentially, one's about, like, uh, a villain being turned good good by the influence of a family that he never intended to have and the other is a villain who turned good because he's succeeded in what he always wanted to do and realized how empty it was yeah yeah um so yeah let's let's get into actually analyzing their arsenals and feats yeah uh so i think we've ruled minions probably shouldn't be like Minions are not in. I think we're ruling that minions are not in Groot's arsenal in a way that would that would probably impact this fight unless it would go for like a draw. Otherwise, I'd say. Yeah, exactly. Um, and uh, so, then let's go over Groot's uh, weapons as well. Yes. Like first. Um. So uh, I I rewatched both Despicable Me one and two in preparation for this. Have you? For forgive me, you you've seen the first. I've seen one and two. Okay, so you, yeah, and I also rewatched the Sequel Me One for this, but I okay. did not watch the Sequel Me Two because I didn't have an easy way to access it. We also haven't watched the Sequel Me Three because uh, no one doesn't want to watch the bad Sequel Me movie. 
happy and I didn't happen either way to see it. Yeah, yeah. We yeah, we we're we're ignoring Despicable Me 3. Also minions technically, but Gru doesn't really do anything in minions yeah. until the very end. Yeah, it's not a lot of sheets um, that we could use for him there. Yeah. Although he does somehow sneak up on the Queen of England <laughs> to steal that crown. <laughs> As a child. I mean, I was, like, like to try and figure out whether I'd be missing anything in Me 3, I did see it somewhere that he has an invisibility thing. I I don't think that's his, though, because I think that was specifically yeah. with, um, that he specifically got that from Drew, and given that they aren't, that they are enemies at the end of the that movie... From my understanding, I watched the CinemaSins video on it, so okay. I get the gist of it. Um, I don't think that would be counted. Um, okay. Also, probably not anything that's specifically provided to him by the um, Anti-Villain League. Um, so, like, stuff... Uh, I, except with the exception of maybe like the lipstick taser that um uh Lucy gives him yeah in the middle of Despicable Me Two. Um, but uh, yeah. Other than that, um, the the first weapon and most common weapon we see Gru use in Despicable Me One is the freeze ray, which yep. seems to instantly freeze any foe. Yes, although it is noticeable that this freeze is not an instant kill, as far as we can tell, because he is, uh, because like for example, when he freezes Vector's head, uh, he just it just clashes to the ground and then he immediately breaks out of it. Like, yeah, he fine, is all. So. He, he also has <laughs> the freeze ray used on him. Correct, and so, he also like, freezes it's not himself in the same way with similar any... levels of no damage. So it's very good for incapacitating foes temporarily. Yeah, um, but it's not an outright kill move. Yes. Um... He also has, um, sh should we include, uh, their, these guys' respective vehicles? Uh, sure, why not? Let's talk about those. He's got the Groomobile, which is the only way I can think to describe it. It's not given an official name, but I'm just gonna call it the Groomobile, which is ginormous and, like, seems to ram cars out of the way with ease because there's that parallel parking scene where he, yeah, just, where he smashes just like smashes all the cars them. out of the way. <laughs> uh and then um he's got another one that's an aircraft variant. I deduce that these are which two is the different distinct vehicle which I forgot at first, I'm gonna be honest. Yeah, I forgot at first too, but then I remembered, oh wait, that one gets shrunk, but he uses the other one afterwards, so. Yeah. Um, so, and that one has, Fly, like. And has missiles and guns and whatnot. And a drill attachment that can cut through steel, which yep. is shown off when he, uh, steals the shrink ray. Yep. Which... Does that? Oh, mm, I oh, I, I was really actually debating whether to include the shrink ray in his arsenal because technically he's still. We don't have any true. reason he to believe he doesn't still have it. He doesn't use it in the future movies, but we don't have any yeah, reason to believe like it's. He wouldn't have just given it back. It's... Yeah, he wouldn't have just given it back. Um. 
So that actually does he does he leave it in space though? No, no, wait. No, because I remember during the scene where he's stealing the moon, like he lets go of the shrink ray to grab the moon, and then I don't know if we ever, and I don't think it shows him like grabbing the shrink. Like, doesn't really show him getting back into the rocket, so it also doesn't show him grabbing the shrink ray. But the shrink ray is shown just like drifting off. Oh shit! I I didn't even catch that part. <laughs> wow. Um, I guess that. So it's possible that it's just still in space and inaccessible. I. You know what? For for the sake of this, we'll we'll say that he does not have the shrink ray. Okay. Um. There's also um. <clears throat> so some of the experiments we see at uh in his lair, uh the anti gravity serum, which has effects that seemingly don't wear off. Too, but he, but the person like, but. Order for the effects to work, so we need to actually drink it. So. Yes, uh, that. So yeah. someone that will be really very relevant. He also has, uh, separate from the minions, he has a few types of small robots, like the cookie robots and the disco robots. Yeah, the boogie robots and the cookie robots. <laughs> I was like, yeah, that's... I was like, if we allow brain bots, we gotta allow yeah. those guys. Which actually, yeah. the cookie Although, well, robots have a surprisingly varied arsenal. Yeah, they can, like, disguise themselves fairly well. They can, like, crawl around, like, on all surfaces and whatnot. And they can also, also and they also can cut through steel. Yes. And it's also like a, seal in cut pieces of steel? So they can cut and they can weld. Okay. <laughs> Essentially. That's the word, yes. And they can also, like, and since the piece falls <laughs> up, they can also, like, collectively move that amount of weight and steal. We don't yes. have a good estimate, but it's like a sizable chunk would be pretty damn heavy. So the cookie robots are pretty capable. A bookie robots, not so much. So, yeah. as far as I can tell, they're just good at dancing. Yeah. Um. He also has the fart gun, which may seem useless in a fight, but should be noted that in Despicable Me 2, it is used to, to knock out the... Knock Pokemon. out uh, El Macho injected with the PX-41 serum. Yeah, so it is very powerful. So despite the... Is very noxious. It's very powerful. Yes. In terms of knocking people out. Yes. Um, uh, then, um... We've also got, he's also got the... I forget the specific name that he gave to it, but I'm just going to refer to it as the heat ray or... Yeah, I just have it listed as a heat ray, which yeah, he used to, like, his... basically destroy that carnival stand. Yeah, including like completely incinerating like a piece of tin, which uh, is probably pretty impressive. Although I don't know the numbers of that offhand, and the fact that the tin is rather small would is interesting because you could argue that it's just like destroying it, not incinerating it, but it does fall into ash. Well, it's pretty powerful either way. Yeah. Um. We also have. Um. I'm looking at this. Um, I forget when he uses this, but at some point he uses a laser gun that can cut through a seal. I think that's Despicable Me too. I don't remember where he uses it, but it's a I, probably yeah, in the L, probably that. in the heist uh, when that, they're that robbing the restaurant. Um, he also has a grappling hook, which he uses in that scene, I believe. Um, he's got a motorcycle. 
which I'm just going to call the groove cycle. Um, uh, He has a flamethrower that he used to melt a rotary phone in Despicable Me 2. Oh, yeah. (laughs) When he couldn't work up the courage to ask out Lucy, he just lost it and melted his phone. (laughs) Uh, And the the aforementioned lipstick taser, which also successfully subdued um, El Macho, uh, which he, of course, received from Lucy. Um, I think from very... I, I can't think of anything else that would be like in his standard arsenal. Yeah. Uh, so there we can go on to Megamind's arsenal. Yeah. So for Megamind's arsenal, like first and foremost, like the like the thing, yeah, like the thing that he's consistently shown to have him at all times uh, is his ray gun, which has multiple settings. But the one that he's seen these most most often is the dehydration setting, which can instantly dehydrate turn turn and like either any person or essentially any like small-ish like person-sized object into a small cube that can be rehydrated into its original form later yes um additionally the uh more destructive modes of the ray gun have been shown to like be able to blast the rolls and i believe i can't i can't, couldn't tell which mode he was using but like when he was uh getting rid of could, but he used the gun to zap away the metal Thing that is used to that used to keep Roxanne in place on top of the building at the end of the movie. Mm, yeah, yeah. Uh, I didn't I didn't make much note of those other settings because it it he well, goes like through two. those settings very quickly in the movie. Yeah, like and you know he actively uses like two, so those are the only two we can really have any kind of gauge with. Exactly. Um. Uh. He also um. One of one of his early experiments um, is he he had that. Um, now I don't mm, actually I don't know if the, this would count because he uses it like back in in Shul. Um, <laughs> uh, that helmet that he uses to like reflect the dodgeballs back at the kids throwing them at him. Oh yeah, you know, we never see it again, so it's unclear whether or not he kept it. Yeah. Either way, like he has a lot of like what, like he has a lot of small one-off things, so it's kind of questionable that we could consider international. Because like, yeah, there's also the trike he uses to escape from prison at like yeah. age three. Like regardless, he doesn't have a lot, just like <laughs> consistently on him, but it's a lot that he has reasonable access to. Yeah. Um, Especially with the summonable brain bots. Yes. Which he seems to have. In large supplies. Yes, very large supply of brain bots. And are we able to withstand, at least for a while, uh, the strength and the heat ray of the villain Titan? Mm hmm. Uh, there's also um, the, um, the Mega Mobile, which can turn it, or the invisible car. Uh, which, you know, pretty self-explanatory, can turn yep. invisible. As well as he also has a motorcycle, which can fly. Yes. Um, He's in the climax. Uh, there's um, I, another one of his most commonly used gadgets throughout the movie is his disguise watch. 
Yep, which you can use to disguise himself as anyone to watch a scan. So by the end of the movie, that is himself, Space Dad, the... I keep forgetting his name, which is unfortunate. The uh, Warden. The, guy the, the Warden, the guy he disguises as to trick Roxanne. Uh, Bernard. I think he's a, Bernard, thank you. Fun fact. Bernard sort of like Spiller. some random ass guy. And also... I, oh, Nice. Yeah. Also in that one himself, little I don't know if I included himself, but he could disguise himself as himself for some reason. Because, like, Minion does used to watch towards the end of the movie disguise himself as a Minion. And Metro Man. And also he's used to disguise himself as Metro Man. Yes. Correct. Um, and so there's a lot of options for that. Yes. Um, it is very easy to um, switch off, though because there there's that part where Roxanne accidentally switches it off in the worst <laughs> like possible moment. Yep. Um, but it is but even after you're switched on it's really easy to turn back on again. Yes. Um and then um there oh, there was something else with that I thought uh that I wanted to bring up. Um Oh, you know what I noticed? That's actually a really neat detail that I didn't (laughs) notice until, like, very later on. Um, His eyes remain the same color. Ah, neat. Um, Which I didn't notice it until the scene where um, Minion disguises himself as the Warden. Because... The warden there has green eyes, but then when you cut to the actual warden tied up in his chair, he has brown eyes. Oh, oh that's a nice detail. Yeah, yeah. I thought that was really neat how they uh, did that. Um, so, in addition to that, um, probably not going to include that satellite death ray. That takes... Yeah, because that, that, okay, that, the big thing with that one is that, like, he could reasonably, like, Okay, he could use it, but it takes a long ass time to warm up. Yeah, it's it's so it's solar power. So it's kind of a minion situation. The sun where, has like, to warm up. Where it's overpowered, up. but it would take a while for it to come into play. Yeah, um, and the fight would probably probably be over by then. Um, he also has a sort of knockout spray as well as the forget me stick, which is just <laughs> which a- is just a stick. Yeah, it, yeah. Someone with. <laughs> yes. And then additionally, he has his mech suit. Yes, um, the battle suit that he includes jet boosters, buzz saws, fireworks. And which has strength to not completely outmatch, but compete for a while with, like, someone of Titan strength. Yes, um, it also has an eject button, which will eject him out the butt. And it's surprisingly stealthy for being a giant-ass suit. And it's motion-controlled. That's, yeah. that's a good thing to note. Um, so he's not, like, strapped into it at all, which will lead to something else interesting later in the discussion, but yeah. we'll get to that when we get to that. Should also mention he has a jetpack which he uses to emulate Metro Man's flight. Yep. Uh, so uh, there's that. Um, and that's... I think that's about it for... There are I think it's going to be about it for like. Um, I didn't what watch the Button film. of Doom short film. I forget what that Button of Doom does, or if that would even be 
qualifiable. I did not realize there was a button of Doom Shark, so I also did not watch that. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, we'll just ignore it. Um <clears throat> uh so now um we have feats of strength, durability, and speed to worry about. And since we started with Groove for Arsenal, let's go back to Groove for this. Yes. Um both of these guys have ridiculous durability, them both being characters from animated films. Yes, and for that, like, one of the standout moments for Gru specifically is the scene where he's trying to break into uh, Vector's lair and he gets shot at just a ton of missiles at the same time, which caused, which resulted in a large crater in the ground and a mushroom, like, cloud of smoke visible from a long distance away. So it's a fairly sizable explosion. Yes, in addition to that, even before that, he gets, like, repeatedly punched by those, like, mechanical fists. And partially, and attacked by a shark. And it's, yes, attacked by a shark and crushed by that door. Yeah. <laughs> so he, he takes quite a beating there. Uh, similarly in Despicable Me 2, there's a similar feat where, um, he's trying to get past El Macho's, um... La Cucaracha dance floor security system. Because, yes. <laughs> um, and w in which he is set on fire, shot with darts, and hit with a phalanged mace in the head. And he's perfectly <laughs> fine. <laughs> so, there's that. Um, uh, strength feeds a lot of those... Uh, for the first physical me, there's the scene at the end. Like the, the one, the one that sticks out in my mind the most is towards the end of physical me when he's bringing Vector Slayer the second time, uh, fueled by the power of getting his kids back, and just punches the shark out of the way without looking. I might add. Yeah. Like he doesn't and, even have to look at the shark to just punch it in the yeah, nose. I think and and yeah, I think it's pretty clearly a great white shark. So that's a big ass fish that he's just casually knocking out of the way in that moment. Um, there is also uh, the fact that, like, while in Vector's lair stealing the shrink ray, he is able to hold up the 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 like the tube holding the shrink ray with only his legs, although we don't really have a good way to calculate how yeah, heavy Yeah, because it's hard to is. know how big the shrink ray is. Like, how heavy it is, I mean. But, um, that is, that is something. Um, he is also, his reflexes by the end of the first film are quick enough to dodge heat-seeking missiles. Yes. As well, he has shown like fairly incredible speed feats outright, such as when he is running up the Great Pyramid of Giza to catch up with his ship like a, in like only a couple of seconds. As well as early on in the movie, where he's hiding from where where he hides from Vector, but where well while he's hiding from Vector, he manages to sneak uh, into a vent at the opposite end of a hallway. Uh, within the span, it takes Vector to basically turn his head and look down the hall. Yes, that 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 stereotypical hero sees villain, villain stops, turns around and looks, hero is no longer there. Yeah. Uh yes, he achieves that. Um uh and then um that's really 
all I have written down for hit for notable feats for him. Well, as far as um, his intelligence is concerned, because that's also something worth noting for for both of these uh, characters. Um, this kid built a rock, a working rocket, as a child, based off of a macaroni model. Yes, <laughs> and as an adult, he managed to build an actual life-size working rocket. Although in that case he did have the assistance of Doctor Nefario, but so. it also is also it is also worth mentioning he did that on zero budget using stuff around the house in less than twelve days. True, but also once again Doctor Nefario, yes, so we don't know if we can completely chalk yeah. it up to him. Yeah. Um. Uh. There is also the fact that Gru somehow managed to steal the Times Square Jumbotron. <laughs> and the Statue of Liberty. The, the small, small one from, from Las, Las Vegas. Vegas. I Which won't is... even mention the Eiffel Tower. Also Vegas. <laughs> <laughs> uh, that, that's, that bit is one of my favorite bits in the movie it's, I'm going to be on. It is a great bit. It is, it is a very good bit. Um... It it should also be worth noting that as the as the the bank teller uh, notes um, with his first meeting with Gru in the movie, um, m many of Gru's plots have failed in the past. Uh, so he's obviously not the best at his job. Um, mm -hmm. But uh, <clears throat> you know there. Yeah, um, there's all, so, on to Mega Man Mind's feats, um, first of all, Mega I mean, Man Mind. Yeah, um, this one is a bit up in the air, but he claims that he has almost beaten Metro Man on occasion. <laughs> that uh, one, I don't know if we can take that one out on its own, because, yes. like, that was, Mega Man is a bit of an egomaniac. Yes. So that. So I think we can reasonably say that while he probably came closer sometimes than others, that we can't really, that's really hard to argue that he came closer to actually beating Metro Man. Yeah, that is a great line, though. He would yeah. win some, I would almost win <laughs> others. <laughs> <laughs> um, but it is, it is especially worth noting that, I mean, he was able to stand his, I mean, people would think, well, it's it's clear, like, he was able to stand on his own against Metro Man, even if he lost every time, he still was able to, like, survive a fight. But I think it's clear that Metro Man wasn't trying to kill Mega Yeah, Mind. that's very clear. So the more important thing to note is it's him... His fight with Titan. Yeah, his fight with Titan, which Titan is absolutely trying to kill him. And it's, like, I mean, it's unclear how just how powerful metro man slash titan are in this movie but they're essentially like superman like they're, they're, they're like their role like they have superman power set they're they're likely a bit weaker than superman but they have superman power set like the general idea of this backstory of alien center like they're practically Metro Man is practically a Superman stand in and Titan gains gains those powers. Yes. Um 
so, but what what is worth noting at least at least uh what um was worth noting on my end um was that um Megamind dodges Titan's laser vision. Yes, which I also noted on my end, which is very impressive. On foot. So, on foot and also with his jetpack. Yes. Um so the question is how fast can a human look? Well, well, the question is how, like, which would be faster, the laser vision or the heat-seeking missiles grew dodges? I'd argue it probably should be the laser vision. Because very least, like, the beams coming out, may, like, that's questionable, but you're just, but it's dodging them continuously. So that, so that it comes down to the speed of just Titan looking towards where Megamind is moving to. Yeah, yeah, that's fair. Which, which, considering like distance and angle and whatnot, would be fairly reasonably fast. So yeah. I think we could argue that their reaction times are probably somewhat comparable. Yeah. So, um, it it'd be a, it'd probably be fair to give to give Megamind the the speed advantage here. Uh maybe. Oh, reaction because like there's a, there's a bit of a distinction between speed and reaction time. Like they're generally yeah, like fair. a bit indicative, but they're not necessarily the same thing. That's fair. Yeah. And in terms of outright like on foot speed, that's hmm. They just dodge lasers on foot. Is the thing. Yes, as with Gru but it, but Gru the... does swing around on the missiles. Yes, he he does he does flips uh on the missiles. So, so without so. without having like the numbers down, I'd want to just like. Say they're relatively comparable in that regard. Yeah, that's fair. Um, also, as far as we're uh, since I brought up some of Gru's uh, faults and weaknesses, um, it should be noted that Megamind's intelligence is basically just limited to technology. He's yeah, he not very street smart. He's a brilliant engineer. He doesn't have a lot of street smarts or pronunciation or, yeah, smarts. Smarts on the he he doesn't have a firm grasp on, on the English language at times. Yeah, and also it's not the best of general people skills, arguably. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it's arguable that he gets better as the film progresses. Like, he does but... improve, but it's not the greatest. Yeah, definitely. Um... However, people skills not really relevant to a death battle situation like this, so he's probably fine in that regard, however, he's Or it is possible for him to be outsmarted. Sorry, yes. those are the words. Um, and um, and it also, as far as Megamind's other feats, it should be noted that, like, even though through most of the film you think he was able to successfully kill Metro Man, um, it turns out Metro Man actually faked his death. But Metro Man. I think Metro Man, okay, speed Metro Man is Man insanely is fast. <laughs> like, like, like he is Metro Man is flash levels of fast, but we never see Titan use those kinds of speed. Yeah, that's yeah. So I like, so you could argue that Titan is like relative inexperienced with his own powers. Could like it's weird because you could argue that he's technically weaker than Metro Man just because he doesn't have as much experience with his own powers. But at the same time, he's the one we see using the 
powers most. Yeah, I mean it's it's the I mean it's the so same like, argument essentially so like, Superman and Supergirl in that regard. Yeah. Um because like in theory she's just as powerful but is less experienced. Yeah. Um uh so Also going on to them, uh I would like to point out like just quickly, like, we mentioned, like, he's able to just, like, stand on his own fairly well against Titan. Uh, I would like to point out that that includes, uh, they went during his first fight with Tyler, because there are two. One, when, like, a first one where he realizes, oh, shit, Titan's kind of murderous. And two, the final battle. In the first fight, he gets hit by, he gets, he, in, the, in his mech, he gets punched by Titan so hard that he goes flying like, significantly higher up than the tallest building in Metro City, which is, like, framed being, like, several times, like, significantly higher than a normal skyscraper, and then smashed back down into the ground, and is perfectly fine. Yeah, that, yeah, that battle suit also takes quite a beating. Um, yeah, but, like, going back to the VR, like, going back to the motion control thing, the fact that he's, like, freely, flo- like, the fact that he's not, like, strapped down in the suit, Means that he did withstand basically that entire withstood that entire force just being slammed into him because he is a free flowing object in the feet in the suit, and so it can't really be argued that some kind of stabilizer within like the chair he was fitting in or whatever could really keep him from taking all that force directly. Yeah, so he is like insanely durable. Also, in the final battle, he does take a direct punch from Titan. Although I don't want to, although it's weird there, because recently speaking, Titan has no reason to be holding back because he wants to kill Megamind, but the punch seems to be significantly weaker than other strength feats we know Titan has, because Megamind gets punched, launched back into a wall, and the wall is fine, but we've seen him throw around skyscrapers, so if he was going all out, that wall should be broken. Yeah, yeah, it's interesting. Um... And obviously, we're, you know, discussing these live. We're not doing, like, the in-depth math that Death Battle does. Yeah, because we um, want this to come out of... We want this episode to come out at, like, reasonably enough soon after we came up with the idea for doing this. Yeah, of course, it's a little later <laughs> like than... If, like, if we were finally giving months in between episodes, then we could do that. Which, but... no. We're no. Not, no. Just no. Um, the Green Mile is a long movie, but not that long. <laughs> <laughs> we'll get to that. Um, but, um... Yeah, so it's it's really ah uh, the I I mean these these battles are are tough to analyze I think, um, but uh, yeah, this I want to say like looking into this battle is a lot different than I thought it would turn out because like before watching because before going back and watching the movies I was saying to myself okay this fight will probably essentially come down like they have a lot of stuff they could use but I think this fight will essentially come down to who attacks first. Because at first I was thinking that the freeze ray would be, like, the freeze ray and the dehydration gun would effectively be, like, instant incapacitations and instant kills, and therefore instant kills, which is secondary weapons. But I'm genuinely questionable as to whether or not they could kill each other with, like, their standard arsenals. Because, like, they have been shown to be, like, wildly durable relative to what they can output. Yeah, I, I think it just comes down to, like, who 
like which one of them actually has a way that to kill the other um and yeah, I think, i'm like He's like, Gru and Mega Mind can both reasonably incapacitate each other if they can hit each other with their beam weapons, like the freeze gray or the lipstick taser or the dehydration gun. But like, there's with their speeds, they could probably dodge each other's shots for a little while at least. Yeah, um, I think. Yeah, I'm tr- I'm trying to, to figure out. Because we want to, because we have other battles to discuss. If the, uh, I think, okay, I think to just propose an argument, like, feel free to argue against it. Uh, to propose an argument, I think Megamind could potentially pull off the win for this because he, if he because like, they have similar reaction speeds, so we like we gave them similar reaction speeds because we weren't doing the numbers, so we could really reasonably argue that like, I think you reasonably argue that. Mega Mind would be able to eventually hit Groot with, with this dehydration beam, and then he was incapacitated for like indefinite period of time. So he could just wait for the satellite laser to just obliterate like his cubed form. Yeah, I'm also gonna go with Mega Mind uh, as the winner of this. But I, I, another argument I wanted to bring up is that Mega Mind has a lot more combat experience than Groot. Both of them are. I mean, let's face it failures before their respective films but um gru's special specialty is essentially just like large scale robbery whereas megamind is actually consistently fighting a very powerful opponent um losing but consistently fighting at the very least yes so he he's got he's got a lot more combat experience than gru even if Gru's mom might have taught him some karate, which she probably didn't. Um, and also, like, it feels like Megamind's arsenal is a little more varied and useful. Mm-hmm. Um, and, uh... Yeah, um... The, the battle suit is obviously very powerful, and yeah, just just the fact that he has been shown to stand his own against Titan, I think, gives him uh, the ultimate uh, advantage in survivability, just because, I mean, while we see Gru take a lot of beating throughout the movies, like, he's not fighting... He's not fighting discount Superman. <laughs> like the strongest opponent he's fought is probably um El Macho with the PX41 serum. And even then, like El Macho never actually strikes Gru. Uh like like we never actually see Gru take a blow from El Macho. He keeps blocking the blows with his freeze ray. Um but uh yeah and yeah i think megamind has this one yeah at first i was worried that gru would have the ultimate advantage in durability but then i rewatched megamind and i'm like oh wait never mind <laughs> <laughs> um so yeah um we we choose megamind as the winner uh let us know in the comments who you think would win this fight 
Um, and also, like, if you, um, again, we want to make this a recurring segment, if we can. Uh, so please let us know in the comments what other fights you'd like to see us do um, yeah. for this. <clears throat> uh, speaking of recommending fights, I think the next fight we should go to should probably be the fight that Alex, our friend Alex, recommended. Yes. Um, you Alex... may know him from the time that me and him got body swapped in episode 18. <laughs> yes. Um, a, he suggested a very unique and <laughs> I think even harder diff- harder to analyze <laughs> fight for us. Um, his suggestion was um, Peter from Deadpool 2 versus Charles Darwin from Pirates Band of Misfits. So yeah. essentially just... He picked a fight between two normal dudes who get mixed up in an adventure with morally questionable heroes. Yeah. Um, so it's very, very interesting. Um, and the reason I say it's going to be difficult to analyze is because we don't really see either of them fight much. Yeah, neither of them really have any combat experience at all yeah because peter dies <laughs> peter dies and charles darwin is never involved in a he's okay he's definitely involved in a couple of fights but he's like comedically incapacitated for all of them yes he is um so um starting off with i don't even have like i don't have arsenals written down for these characters like, yeah because like they really don't have arsenals. Um, They're I'm just going... kind of themselves. Yeah. Um, I'm going to interpolate a little bit with some of these. Um, but um, uh, Peter, uh, as we see in Deadpool 2, um, uh, first of all, it is worth noting that he has both type 1 and type 2 diabetes. Canonically speaking, that's yeah. all the diabetes. <laughs> um, uh, and um, as we see, like right before the um, the drop down to uh, the convoy, um, Peter's very cautious, um, and he seem he seems to be. Uh, you know, well-prepared for certain situations, uh, because he, he, like, is like, I don't know much about this Cable fella, but I bet he hasn't killed as many people as Melanoma has, and proceeds (laughs) to apply sunscreen, I believe. Yeah. Um, so, technically we could probably include the sunscreen in his arsenal. (laughs) I guess, yeah. It's also worth mentioning that he's definitely a lot braver than Charles Darwin was in this particular movies. Yes, he's actually like even though he he's very he he does seem very uh, concerned about the high winds. Um, he he is very brave to be going on this very dangerous journey, and it is also worth noting. You now a lot of this comes down to luck. But it is worth noting that he's one of the only X-Force members that survives the drop. Yeah, like, he doesn't... it's him, Domino, and Deadpool. Yeah, because he doesn't die until um, Zeitgeist vomits acid on his arms. Yeah. 
Um, uh, it should also be worth noting, um, now this isn't actually stated in the movie, this is from Peter's Twitter. Um, but he's an experienced beekeeper. <laughs> so, there's that, and... I suppose that's something. <laughs> I mean, hey could help it, it it could mean that he he would be able to sort of, i mean i don't know <laughs> would he have the smoker thingy that people eat the beekeepers used to calm down bees we could give him that sure yeah <laughs> um it, it is also worth noting that does bring up another similarity uh between these two in an interest in animals of sorts yeah because charles darwin is well Charles Darwin. <laughs> yes. Um, uh, and that that's literally all of my notes on Peter. Yeah. Charles uh, Darwin has more to talk about, but it's it's weird. Um, it should also be worth noting, um, this in preparation for this podcast, this was the first time either Jacob or I had seen Pirate's Band of Misfits, and while we talked about it briefly on an episode of Paper Mario. Yeah. I don't know if that episode's up, though. Um, I don't think so. I don't yeah. think it's up. Um, but it is, um, worth noting. Uh, I, I think we both liked yeah, it. But, yeah, we both enjoyed it. Yeah, it wasn't, like... It's like a, it's like a it fun a little adventure. Yeah, it's not a must-see, but it's got, it's got a lot of really funny jokes. Yeah. Um, the humor is very British. I mean, they play a Flight of the Concord song, for Christ's sake. <laughs> um, I, don't, can, I, don't, I don't remember specific things, but there are definitely a number of jokes in there that would have gone over my head if I didn't, like, essentially if I hadn't, if I hadn't watched, like, Mock the Week and QI and just known random stuff about Britain. Yeah, like, if you're, a, I, I would say if you're, like, a fan of Monty Python or Flight of the Concords or, like, other, like, British... If, if you're a fan of British humor, you'll like this movie. Like Wallace and Gromit, because it's the same studio. Yes, Ardman, Ardman Studios uh, made this film. Um, and so, uh, for Charles Darwin, uh, my notes, I have that he collects parts of animals. Some of those might be useful. <laughs> um, uh, he has never reached second base with a woman. <laughs> Which, whole, I, I watched this movie with subtitles on Hulu, and they censor the subtitles in a few instances, which is really... In some instances, it's censoring, like, to make them more kid-friendly, which is weird. But in some instances, it's Americanizing them. <laughs> yeah, because like this one is where the pirates get themselves as girl guys, which is like the British equivalent to Girl Scouts. Which, to be so fair, I didn't know what girl guides were. Which then, like, the subtitles just correct to Girl Scouts. Like, quote-unquote correct. But we're not correct. Like, we got Americanized. We got, like, yeah. <laughs> because we got, like, scouting from them. Yeah. Um. Anyway. Uh, he also um, walked off a plank and survived. I mean, granted, he was rest he was you know brought back up by the pirates but we i mean i guess we don't know how long he was under there 
for. Literally, he was also uh, ejected from the Queen's room, and we don't know how that fall went. Uh, but uh, to his actual, okay, we're kind of just like picking at straws for these first few. Uh, one notable feat of his, uh, okay, uh, he did peddle the airship for like a couple days straight. Yes. Which um, is an insane endurance feat. Yeah, he, he does have very good endurance, if that is any indication. Um, uh, it's, I mean, it, it does say in the movie, like, where, like, like, you do see, like, via map, like, approximately how long, or, or the, the distance of which yeah. they are But going, at the very least, it is, like, the, for the animation sequences, for the sequences of showing them on their journey, it is clear that at least last, like, one day, one night, into day again. Yes. Where it's still an insanely long time to just be pedaling constantly. Mm-hmm. Um... Additionally, he gets smashed like in the head of a bunch of barrels and other things throughout the final fight of the Queen of England. Yes. Oh, yes. He he's he. I I specifically wrote down he is smashed with three pans and a spatula. <laughs> um, and a barrel full of vinegar. Yes. I can't remember that the, um, the barrel hit him hard enough to break or not. I feel like it did. Um. It is also worth noting that he's seen to be very deceptive. He, I well, I mean, pirate captain's not the smartest, but <laughs> he is able to um, dissuade pirate captain from thinking that he was trying to steal uh, the dodo, Polly. Um, and um. He has a monkey butler, which I wrote down before the end of the movie when the monkey butler becomes part of the pirate crew. Yeah. So, I guess that's so, like, we can't, can't We can't really call that part of his arsenal anymore, I don't Yeah. Think. And even then, if we if we were not allowing the minions, we probably wouldn't allow the monkey butler either. Yeah. Um. Uh, I wrote down... I forget what part of the movie this is from, but... I wrote down that he has a delayed reaction to pain. I don't remember what part of the movie <laughs> that's from, though. <laughs> but I wrote it down, so it must be true. Um, and the last thing I have written down for him is that he is easily smitten with women. Yep. He, yeah, he, he kind of falls head over heels for, for the queen. Um, yeah. Anyway, so... Oh, by the way, a little off-topic, but did you hear about the casting news for, um, Kristen Stewart playing Princess Diana in a biopic? I did not. Because that's a thing <laughs> that's happening. Alright. So, and it's gotten mixed reactions, for sure. There are some people who, you know, you know, oh, reasonably so, are concerned that while Kristen Stewart has done better work in recent years, that maybe she's not quite up to the task of playing Princess Diana. And some people are all for it. I don't, I mean, 
I don't really have an opinion either way right now because it just got announced. But it does seem like on the same level as like Lindsay Lohan playing Elizabeth Taylor, <laughs> which as viewers of Miserable Movie Monday may know, did not turn out well. She won a Miserable Movie Oscar for it, for crying out loud. Um, but, I, I mean, I liked her in Charlie's Angels. Kristen Stewart, of course. Um, so, who knows? It, it, it could work out. I don't know. Uh, did you have anything else written down for Charles Darwin? I, I did not. This, this one's interesting because this one's interesting because because they're both fairly incompetent. Like not, incompetent might not be the right might not be the right way to say it. Incapable when it comes to just fighting because they don't fight. Yeah, <sighs> it's a it's a shame we haven't gotten Deadpool three yet because it's possible Deadpool three could have given us a little more Peter. <laughs> I would hope. I anyway. it is possible, but. Um, well, Deadpool just to just like specific... walk away at the end of the movie, so it's like he might just want to like not bring Peter along. That's fair, but it would be nice to see him again. Like we might like we might get a re- just like a reference to him in Deadpool too, but I can't imagine him being like there. Yeah, there. I mean, there's so many conflicting rumors of Deadpool three, whether or not it's actually happening, and to what extent he's going to be involved with the larger MCU. It it seems like it changes every day. I'm not. I'm not getting my hopes up for anything right now, honestly, at this point. Yeah. Because, like, Anyways, it's clearly going to be uh, a so, while if it happens at all. <clears throat> um, so, yeah. Um, but it's interesting. It's really interesting because, like... I mean, obviously, it's played for laughs, but you gotta think, like, Deadpool specifically chooses Peter to be on X-Force for some reason. Even though Dopinder, who is arguably just as capable, has been begging Deadpool to be a part of (laughs) the team. Um, So... There's, like, clearly Deadpool sees potential in Peter, I think, and, like, genuinely cares about him, as as we see by the fact that he goes back in time to save Peter and no one else. (laughs) Um, well, I, well, okay, he goes back in time to save Peter, Vanessa, and anyone who watched X-Men Origins Wolverine or Green Lantern. (laughs) Um... (laughs) Uh, which, oh, God, I still, I still gotta make my theory video on that, because I have, I have a fun theory about Deadpool slash Ryan Reynolds in, in the X-Men lore. (laughs) Um, anyway, uh, that's a topic for another video, of course. Yeah, anyway, so back to this topic. Um, Uh, so... I gave my, my conclusion first last time, so I guess it's your turn. Oh, God. Um, I'm still trying to figure that out. Figure out. Um, In that case, shall I give mine? Yeah, go ahead. 
I think this one's tough, but I think I'm going to give this one to Charles Darwin, not because of any particular like abilities, but because he's shown to be more durable, as far as I can tell, compared to Peter. Yeah, that's. I mean, the the only hint of durability we get for Peter really is the fact that he dies after having um, acid vomited on his hands, which I would think that would kill just about anyone. Yeah. Um. So. Um, I wouldn't even have hands, just like dissolve his entire arm and then. So, anyway. So yeah, I think like because I don't think I don't based on. Unlike the comedic stuff that we've seen Charles Darwin survive, I don't think Peter could reasonably harm him in the time it would take Charles Darwin to be able to harm Peter. Yeah, I I regretfully will give it to Charles Darwin as well, although I do love the image of Peter summoning an army of bees to kill Charles <laughs> Darwin. <laughs> although I don't think that's necessarily reasonable, I would love it. And obviously we're going based on the movies, and I know a lot of people have a theory that Peter is actually, like, one of the mutants from the comics, but we're not going based we're on not, that. So. And even then we're not really showing any strong evidence of that. Yeah. Um, so, yeah. Charles Darwin, uh, for us, wins this one. Poor Peter. <laughs> Poor Peter. I, I've wanted to come up with an argument for Peter to win, but I couldn't. Um, yeah. uh, but uh, Anyway, so course. would you like to pick the next one? Um, yes. Um, uh, based on time and the fact that I included them on the thumbnail, I'm going to say we go to Rango versus Woody next. All right. Sounds good. Um, and if we don't have time for the other one, we could do that in the next episode. Sounds good. Um, so, yeah, Rango versus Woody. This is another interesting, a very interesting one. Is... One thing that I will say regarding this, it is very convenient that both these guys are roughly the same size. <laughs> yeah, I was trying to think of, like, who would be a good um, opponent for Rango and my mind just immediately went to Woody or Buzz. I was like, Jacob, do you have a better idea? And he's like, yeah, And Woody I wonder if Woody, because then it'd be a cowboy fight. Yeah, tiny cowboy fight. Um, oh, God, we should have made this a battle royale with um, the Owen Wilson from uh, uh, Jebediah from Ninth Museum. That would have been funny. Ah. Although, he would uh, pro although I think he's significantly smaller than the other two. Yeah, yeah, actually. But, like maybe like half there at the people's side. Regardless, he's not included in the slide right now. Yeah. So. Oh, I didn't even think about that. Ooh. Oh gosh. Ooh. We gotta figure out. Oh, we should figure out something though with like the characters, for, some characters from Night at the Museum, because that'd be int that'd be interesting. That would be fun. Um, maybe, maybe we could do like for like another episode. Maybe not the next episode, but like one in the future, just like our Rango versus Jedi or something. Yeah, or whoever wins this versus Jedediah. <laughs> oh, yeah. We point. haven't determined who's going to win this. You showing true. your cards a little early there, huh? No, no. Just for some like in my mind, it works better than Woody for some reason. Even, like, even though Woody and Jedediah are, by definition, both toys, technically. <laughs> I mean, neither one of them is actually living, technically. I mean, 
I mean, I, I don't know. Anyway, it, anyway, Rango versus Woody. Um, so for Rango, uh, first of all, very active imagination on this guy. Um, <laughs> I, God, this movie. A lot of people, I mean, I feel like so many people say it's underrated at this point that it's not actually underrated, <laughs> but like, it is so good. <laughs> um, it's got so many good quotes. The animation style is really cool and unique. Um, definitely the best Western film in years. Yeah. Um... I can't even think like, of it. It's another. like, it's Rango, and depending on what you want to count as being a Western movie, Logan. Because Logan's a lot of oh, Western, yeah, like Western yeah. movie themes, but isn't really like what you would think of as a standard Western. Western. Yeah. Because like, it's, it's a Western where it was superheroes instead of cowboys, essentially. Yeah. Um, yeah, no, but, uh, and also, like, I mean, as much as I love the SpongeBob movie, Rango's probably Nickelodeon's best movie, objectively speaking. Probably. I probably, mean, it's, probably. Yeah, it's like, at the very least very much up there. Yeah, I mean, it's it's between Rango and SpongeBob. Like, there's not really any others that really compete with yeah. those two. I think. I mean, there's other great movies based on Nickelodeon shows, but none as great as the Spongebob movie. Um, and, uh, they've also made a lot of bad movies, like Wonder Park and the second yeah. Spongebob movie. And <laughs> we'll see about the third Spongebob movie, which is going straight to VOD, by the way. They they announced that uh, yeah. Sponge, uh, Sponge on the Run is going straight to VOD, and will also stream on, um, CBS All Access. So, well, that's nice. Although I think that's not, I don't, I, I think that's not happening until next year, though. Like it's a way, like that release is still a ways away. Um, fair enough, fair enough. Um, uh, anyway, um, so yeah, Rango. Um, as far as Arsenal, not a ton to talk about. Um. He's able to change his color, but is bad at it. Or or it at least takes some intense concentration. Yeah. Um, he has a gun. That's something. Yes. Um, specifically a revolver, often loaded with only one bullet. <laughs> I, I, I mean, obviously, like, it, it would be fair to give him more than one, but, like... Yeah, I, th I think giving him, like, at the very least, the full chamber of bullets will be yeah. fair. Um, it's, not like it's, 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 not like it's, it's not like it's a gun that can only fire one bullet. He's just, like, repeatedly given one bullet. It's just a theme throughout the yeah. movie. <laughs> um, and then um, he can also extend his tongue very quickly to um, grab things. Mm -hmm. Um, he, uh... He Heimlicked a bullet out of someone's throat with enough force to break glass. That's true. <laughs> I didn't well, write that down, that my is dad. true. Um, <clears throat> uh, and, um, that's technically it for his 
arsenal per se. Or, oh well, and his his tail is able to grab things as well. He, he's right, able yeah. to grab stuff with his with Probably his tail. But I had myself there. <laughs> um, as for Woody's arsenal, um. <laughs> He doesn't really have a lot of just a standard. He has himself for the most part as a standard arsenal. Yeah. Um. It's worth noting his head can spin 360 degrees. Uh. Also, he can survive with his arms detached. Yes. Though he has trouble put. Though he can't put them back on without assistance. Yeah. Um. And, and he can't move his detached arm. Yeah. Um. But it doesn't really slow him down in the literal sense. Um, his pull string can extend fairly long and be yeah, used as a lasso. Quite the thing. Um, you know, much longer yeah. than it should, but... And also, it's inconsistent <laughs> between movies, but um, the longest we see it extend, I believe, is in that um, the plane scene from Toy Story 2. I think that's the longest we see it extend um and uh yeah that's really it for his arsenal now let's let's go into feats because oh gosh these guys both have interesting feats now i've already mentioned the heimlich feat for rango um i thought it was worth noting that this guy swallows a cigar <laughs> drinks cactus juice and belches fire at one point and it doesn't just like melt his throat yeah like so it's a decent resistance to the fire essentially uh yes um it is also worth mentioning his skin dries in extreme sunlight but can be shed off no problem mm -hmm. um that's also inconsistent <laughs> throughout the movie, because it only happens in that one scene. Um, he has survived crashing through his glass tank onto an asphalt road. Um, coming off of a car. Yes, coming off of a car, so, you know, at about that speed. Yeah, um, like, on, like, on a desert highway, too, which I think is, like... I think those tend to be. Like, it's un I think it's a little unclear what highway is supposed to be, but it's, I believe those tend to be a little bit faster than like standard like highways that we see in Minnesota, just because there's nothing to hit if they slow off the road. Yes, he's also been. He's also survived hitting multiple cars' windshields, and you know, getting struck by the windshield yeah. wipers. Um. Yeah, which is very impressive. Um, and. Um, as far as speed and power, um, he outran a hawk. <laughs> so, that's a thing. Um, yeah. He also knocked out a woman with one punch. Yeah. <laughs> the, yeah. Um, it is also worth noting, he is insanely lucky. I mean, he shoots that one bullet, and it ricochets off, and, like, ends up killing the hawk. 
inadvertently. <laughs> like, that is some insane luck. Um, but he's not super bright. He's got a very imagine of a very active imagination, but he doesn't have a lot of street smarts. Yeah. Um, much like Mega Mind. Um, like when he gets tricked, like when he accidentally helps people rob a bank by not realizing that the people who are clearly trying to rob a bank are trying to rob a bank and give some directions to the bank. Yes, and a mining a prospector's <laughs> permit. <laughs> uh also he's a very convincing liar. Um, yeah. as he's able to convince this entire town he he's the guy who killed them, Jenkins brothers. And as a like and as a part of that, I was also a very good ad libber relating yeah. to his desire to be an actor prior. Yeah. Uh, that's, yeah, they, I mean, obviously, I, I love that angle of this yeah. movie. Yeah, also relating, going back to his luck, there is his walk across that highway. Oh, yeah, he doesn't get hit by any cars there. Yeah. Also, going back to, which is also impressive, because, like, like, when he was first walking across that, he was in a bit of a trance, but he wasn't when he was going, like, not really shown him being in a trance when he's going back, so he also got across that highway the normal way somehow. Yeah. Um. <clears throat> yeah. Uh, did I have anything else written down for feats for him? I don't think so. Um. Did you? <clears throat> uh, not specifically for Rango. All right. And for Woody, I mean, he's shown to be extremely durable throughout all the movies. Yeah. Just, um, like, in general, for, like, the toys in the movie, it's, like, incredibly hard to actually, like, probably because it's a kid's movie, they don't really want to show a lot of death, but, like, it's basically, like, it's all but implied that to actually kill a toy, you basically need to just incinerate them. Um, Because <clears throat> that's the only, like, because the only time we can see them, like, consistently in fear of imminent death is when they're about to be incinerated at the end of Toy Story 3, where... Everyone just kind of accepts their demise. Which, by the way, guys, I did not watch Toy Story 3 again for this. <clears throat> I'm not surprised. I watched the first one. I was going to watch the second one, but didn't have time, so I just watched the CinemaSense videos for all of them. Um, <clears throat> and Toy Story 2 doesn't add a ton to his, his feats, at least that I noted, apart from the fact that he can survive with his limbs detached. Um, <clears throat> which I didn't need to watch the movie to be able to know that. Yeah. So, um, also relating, also another feat that's kind of relate, like, rela relatable to Rana Rango's feats. Uh, at the part of the inciting incident for Toy Story Four is him falling out the back of an RV. Mm, yeah. Uh, and as as far as speed, um. He caught up to a moving van on foot in the first movie. Yeah. Um, and um, as far as strength feats, um, he can open up the toy chest in Andy's room with only one arm. <laughs> um, which, like, which is one of those things that doesn't sound impressive to consider that like the size of these characters... Yeah, um, but, I mean, there's even more impressive beyond that, um, 
uh oh i forgot a or nah this this works for this uh discussion too uh first of all he has incredible jumping ability too like he he can jump pretty high um and um then uh he he's able to be burned um by uh reflecting sunlight onto him uh which happens twice in the first movie um but specifically has to be reflected through like a lens of some sort so I guess like focused on my technically. Yeah. Um <clears throat> and then uh he survived a bowling ba- ball uh landing on his head. <laughs> um and, and there's that whole back of the pizza planet truck scene which I mean <laughs> He takes quite a beating there. Yeah. Um, and, um, uh, then he's also strong enough to push the, the plastic crate that, um, that he's, like, trapped in, like, a cage, um, in Sid's room, Mm -hmm. on Sid's desk, uh, and it should be noted that there is a toolbox on top of that. Now, of yeah. course, Buzz is pushing the toolbox as well, but, um, you know, Woody is still showing a lot of strength there, obviously. Mm-hmm. And he shows strength when, um, when, uh, Scud is, like, chomping on his leg, and he <laughs> he manages to, like, you know, survive that, um, and also, well, actually, there's another, I, I, I wrote down Stronger Than an Angry Bulldog, um, as, on my notes here, and forgot which part that was for, but then I also, I just remembered that he also manages to push a door closed that Scud is actively trying to put, like, Scud is actively pushing against him, so that means he is stronger than Scud outright. Um, and, um, he also, um, dodged a speeding car on the highway, like, he he was able to react quick enough to duck and dodge it. Um, so, and again, it's not necessarily clear how fast the car is going, but, I mean, that's still pretty impressive. Um, as far as comparing their feats, um, I want to think, uh, first of all, about speed. Um, is, like, I'm trying, is the Hawk faster than the moving truck? <laughs> Ah, uh, oh, that's a good question. Because, like, okay, is because I did a quick Google and hawks can reach like like hundreds of miles per hour, but those are typically when they're diving. Yeah, and also, yeah, the the hawk is like walking sort of at parts of that. So, um, what the fuck? I just googled how okay, fast pl- is a hawk and it gave me falcon. It gave me a falcon <laughs> speed. Okay. Uh, 
I got into this a guy thing that claims that hawk speeds, like the bird speeds in general, range from twenty to fifty miles per hour horizontally. Okay. So the hawk's reasonably probably within somewhere within that range. Okay. And then the moving van. And the moving truck was on a suburb suburban road, I believe. The new man was, like, around the suburbs, right? Yeah, yeah. Okay, so that would have been, like, 40 miles per hour top speed. Okay. So, if the hawk was going at, like, top speed horizontally, then it would just barely beat out the moving truck. Theoretically, but since we can't know that for sure, and the thing that I got was the range for all birds... I think it's probably to say that their, like, running speeds are probably fairly similar. Yes. Um, At the very least, they're close enough that it probably won't be the difference breaker in the fight. Yeah. Um, as far as um, durability, that that's a tough one. <laughs> that's a really tough one. Yeah, because... Like they both, like they both show incredible feats of durability, but like Rango, the movie opens with like them talking about Rango having died, and at the end it's real that he died like in a kitchen accident. Well, I think that was more like the owl's thinking. Like, like I don't think that's actually like confirmed that he dies that way. I think it's just like. Cause, no, because the owls are most are saying, like, oh, he's most likely going to die. Because, like, the owl keeps, like, hinting that, like, Rango's going to die by the end of the story, but then he never does. I, I think it's just, like, the owl being I, like, I'm oh, yeah, he'll probably, he'll die at Like, I, I remember it being at the owl, like, the premium story being the owls are essentially telling the story of Rango. But I don't think they're the most... I don't think that one... They're, they're the most reliable storytellers, necessarily. Also, the, also, like, the... The kitchen death thing, like, it's like a payoff to a joke early in the movie where someone mentions, like, like death rates in the kitchen accidents. Oh, I didn't even catch that. Huh. Um... Yeah, no, I, that, I, I, I do think that is, that is questionable... As far as, like, the validity to the owl's... Because, like, the impression I've always got from that is that the owls are unreliable storytellers. Particularly the, the leader who keeps... In, who keeps alluding to Rango dying, but then he never does. At least within the movie. Um. So... Yeah, I guess it's a fair enough argument to make. Yeah. Yeah, I've always I've always thought it was an unreliable narrator in that sense. But um. regardless, I feel like I want to I want to give durability to Woody just a bit because how do you kill the toys in Toy Story beyond like incineration, really? Yeah. Okay. Like he yeah. took it dismembered, but I question. I feel like it's questionable how he could be killed because even if he's reduced to just a head we've seen like like we've seen implications based on like Sid's experiments of toys that toys can survive being reduced to a head at least for a while yeah he has to like reduce people because he has to like remove some toys in order to swap their heads around yeah 
Yeah, so it it is it does raise the question like how can you kill a toy? <laughs> now the question I want to bring up can Rango kill Woody with that gun? <laughs> that that's the thing. Cause if it wasn't for their gun, I would just like give this to Woody Alfred, but the gun could be a really the gun could be an interesting variable because you've never, never seen the toys get shot. Yeah, which I mean, but obviously at the same time, the similar durability arguments before. Yeah, obviously they wouldn't show that, but like, I don't know. I, I feel like Woody could survive getting hit by the revolver just based on like the general feats of survivability we see toys in that universe take. Yeah, I guess it would depend. Because like, there's no like reason given why Woody would be like significantly less durable than like a lot of the toys, like a lot of the toys that we see, even if. He is framed as being relatively old as far as the toy goes. Yeah, and this is one of the reasons I, w- I was, like, looking for, like, a slightly better opponent for Rango. Because, I mean, it, it is very, like, like, how do you kill a toy? <laughs> is, yeah. Like, I mean, it's a theory that many people have, you know, theorized on, including, of course, MatPat. Um... And his his conclusion was that and even like even the guys like incineration yeah, um, and like even the guys like at death battle like talked about like some Toy Story characters like is like in community death battles and they also have no idea how the hell you'd kill a toy. Yeah, um, that's why like for other like Toy Story related fights, the only other one I would like really want to do at some point is. Buzz Lightyear versus Turbo Man, just because the... It, well, A, they're both toys of action heroes, and B, we could actually, like, go with their, like, act with, like, the abilities proposed that that the characters have, not necessarily the toys themselves. Um... Yeah. Uh... Because we do get so a, this is like a, a lot of media for like non toy version of Buzz Lightyear. Like we got the video game and we like in and the Toy cartoon, Story two, yeah. and we've got like the animated series. Yeah. Um. But uh, yeah. Um. So yeah, I guess like if 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 a gun can't kill Woody, Woody wins. <laughs> Yeah. Um, and, <laughs> and even then, like, there's the question of, like, because obviously Rango's gun is smaller than an actual gun. Yeah. It's, like, it's not actual size. It is sm- <laughs> It's smaller than the average gun. <laughs> uh, oh, God, now I'm just reminded of... Have you seen that, like, fan-made alternate ending of the Yogi Bear movie where Boo Boo shoots Yogi. (laughs) (laughs) No, but I believe we did discuss an episode of Scooby-Doo. There's an episode of... Fuck, goddammit. Harvey Birdman, Attorney of Law. Yeah, Harvey Birdman, Attorney of Law, where where Boo Boo was accused of being the Unabomber. (laughs) Oh, we did talk about that. God. Oh, man. And it's left ambiguous as to whether or not he is at the end of that Jesus. episode. <laughs> yeah. Um, anyway. Anyway, yeah. Um, 
Uh, there's also <laughs> there's a video I posted. I I posted a link to in um Liam's uh, Discord, um, where this guy, um, who Salty Decan Dan, he's got a pretty big following. I've told you about some of his videos. Um, like the Have You Heard About series. He's the one who did the video on the, um, that weirdly serious Spongebob fan series that completely phases out Spongebob and Patrick by the end. Oh, yeah, that thing. Yeah, yeah he, he's the one who did the video on that. Um, he, he did a stream where he played a Pokemon ROM hack called Pokemon H. Have you heard of that ROM hack, first of all? I have not. <laughs> Everything is H's. That's that's what the game. It's just Pokemon Red, but everything is H's. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> uh, anyway, we, while he was streaming that, and I actually got to watch this happen live, um, but he successfully got Boo Boo from Yogi Bear canceled on Twitter. <laughs> 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 is oh it's it's very funny <laughs> you specifically using that alternate ending clip that someone made uh as part of his evidence as to why boo boo should be canceled <laughs> and it was hilarious um yeah, so yeah yeah anyway i i think this this requires further analysis, but Preliminary, I'd say for now, Woody wouldn't. wins. Because <laughs> we don't know if Rango's gun could kill Woody. Yeah. Um. And even then, we don't know. Even then, we don't even technically know if Rank if Woody could kill Rango. We're just like giving Woody the higher durability here. Oh yeah, that's true. Well, I mean, he could. Yeah, that's... Mm. Yeah, Woody doesn't really have anything to kill Rango, I don't think, actually. Yeah. This... Ooh. Actually, I think I'm going to turn around, because I think, like... Mm. I think depending on, like... I think depending on aim, which, as we've seen, Rango gets very lucky with aim... <laughs> True, but at the same time, like, if we're going off Death Battle-type stuff, then luck really... Luck wouldn't play a massive factor in yeah, this battle, really. Yeah, it certainly really, didn't because, help like, Nathan Drake. Like, it, like, yeah, like, if, like... Essentially, like, their ruling is if a character can't manipulate... Like, if a character can't manipulate luck as a part of their arsenal and are just, like, really lucky, that won't really play into the outcome yeah. of our fight because that's inconsistent. Which... And not something they can actually control. Now really wants me... Now makes me want to see Domino in a death battle. I mean, she's a like, yeah, yeah. Because <laughs> that that would be very interesting. Um. So, oh man, yeah, indecisive. I think we are on this because we don't know. Yeah. How Woody would kill Rango. And. We don't know for a fact if Rango's gun can kill Woody. It seems like if either of them has a way to kill the other, it would 
probably be Rango with his gun, but we, again, we don't know if that would work. Um, Woody, I guess, could theoretically, like, wrap the pull string around Rango's neck and choke him. It's a very... Oh, like, that's definitely how Woody would win in an actual death battle episode. <laughs> like, that's a that's a pretty... That looks like a pretty weak neck. I mean, he, he obviously survives, you know, swallowing a cigar, but, like... That's... But that yeah, doesn't necessarily mean he wouldn't be able to be choked by a pull string. Um... So, yeah, I mean... What do you guys think? Let us know. Um, and I think with that, I think it's about time to talk about our uh, film Movies for this made. So we'll discuss our next um, battle. We'll, we'll discuss the, the other battle we have next time, um, which is uh, one that Jacob uh, came up with being Alex the Lion from Madagascar versus Simba from The Lion King. So yep. if you guys um, have a suggestion... Have any other suggestions to do alongside that? Yes, and if you, if you guys want to put in your input for, for who you think would win between Alex and Simba, let us know. Um, don't just say Simba because Lion King is better than Madagascar. Yeah, like, give an actual, like, reason that they would win. Yeah, <laughs> I mean... Yeah. Um. Anyways, uh, yeah, let's move on to our, our film. Uh, oh, wait! Shit! <laughs> I completely forgot about our ma- our films that we were making. Which is depressing because I brought that up a second ago. Oh, <laughs> Damn shit. It, Noah. Oh, okay. Um, <laughs> do you do you have yours? Okay, mine, okay, we've been kind of focused on this discussion, so mine is a fairly simple concept. Uh, reminder, I had Chris Pratt and Emily Blunt as my leading actors. Uh, and Emily Blunt uh, was a character in Edge of Tomorrow. Specifically, like the female leading of tomorrow. So she, so my idea was it would be a crossover between Edge of Tomorrow and Guardians of the Galaxy. Ooh, okay. Directed by Jordan like, Peele. <laughs> yeah, yeah, Jordan Peele. Like, Peele was the Peele was the oddball in this scenario inexplicably. Yeah, specifically <laughs> because he has outright stated he will never make a film with a white lead. <laughs> Yeah, so that that yeah. doesn't really work for this, but like we yeah. were focused on. Yeah, he's like, in this, here yeah. because I, I didn't asked get for any non-white leads. So. Yeah, he he's in this pile because I asked people for their suggestions for their favorite directors, actors, and actresses, and someone suggested Jordan Peele. So I was like, okay, I'll write it down, even though <laughs> any combination we get with him pretty much is going to be problematic <laughs> unless we just happen to get him paired up with the two black stars that we have i got suggestions for which one of them we've already gone through which was zendaya and the other one <clears throat> which we haven't picked up yet is christopher judge 
who literally, like, his main acting credit is the voice of Kratos in the new God of War game. Yeah. But someone suggested him, so I put it down. Yeah. Uh, so good luck whenever you get, if you get that one. I might just be doing a God of War movie for that one if I get it. Fair enough. Um, uh, I can't wait to see what on, I can't wait to see it directed by Tommy Wiseau or something. <laughs> um. Well, haven't we already used Tommy Wiseau, though? In the acting an category, not ah. in the directing category. He's the one person in both. <laughs> um. Because someone suggested him for both. Actually, the person who suggested him suggested him for all three categories. But I wasn't going to put him in actress. Because um, <laughs> he's not an actress. He's an actor and a director. Um, uh, and then for my combination, I have James Gunn, Robert Downey Jr., and Emma Stone. Um... You know what? Um, this is going to be a time-hopping musical with, uh, the, like, with, like, that delves into, like, the film industry once again, because it's going to be a, a face-off between... Um, Emma Stone's character in La La Land, and um, Charlie Chaplin, which Robert Downey Jr. played in a biopic a, lo a while back. <laughs> like, I think that was pre-Iron Man, in fact. Um, actually, let me, let me look up when Chaplin came out. I haven't seen it, but I hear it's good. Yeah, 1992. <laughs> Whew. So, yeah... That was, like, you know it's a long time ago because that was before Robert Downey Jr. I mean, well, okay, I don't know this for a fact, but I'm assuming it's before Robert Downey Jr. got involved with a lot of drugs. Yeah. Um, also, yeah. funnily enough, um, it was Robert Downey Jr.'s first film with Marissa Tomei, who, of course, he would later reunite with in uh, Captain America Civil War. Because she played Aunt May. Oh, all right. It uh, also has Anthony yeah. Hopkins and Dan Aykroyd in smaller roles. And Kevin Klein. Oh, wow. This is actually a really, really good cat. Oh, and this is also probably Mila Jovovich's best film. <laughs> <laughs> um, oh, God. Yeah, there's I a lot of like people we, in this movie. I James like Woods. sidetracked. Yes, we have gotten incredibly sidetracked. Uh, I need to find the buttons where the... Oh, yeah, I'm thrown off because it's not the alphabet buttons anymore. <laughs> On the day he was born, he was Never gets old. Uh, 
So, of course, to... I'm forgetting um, that the Game Grumps bit is in there. <laughs> yeah. Um, I mean, as soon as we came up with this challenge, I was like, I gotta incorporate that clip. That's gotta be this one's equivalent to the Spongebob record scratch. Um, yeah, every film challenge will have just one hilarious non-film-related clip. <laughs> um... And, uh, actually, one of the clips I considered including for this death, for the death battle segment was, um, uh, a clip specifically from John Tron's, uh, video on Food Fight, where it's like, nay, not a war, a food fight! But I decided <laughs> against it. Um, anyways, back on track. Um... This time around, uh, Jacob had to pick a film for 1999, the year he was born. And you also managed to pick a film that came out after you were born, correct? If I'm not mistaken, Green Mile came I, out after you were born? I, I think. Ooh, I, I think it did. I'm looking it up. It up. Yeah, not December 6th. Yeah, so after I was born. Yeah. Yeah. Uh... So, uh... Also, after you were born, but that's most impressive timing. Well... <laughs> I mean, no matter what you picked, even if you picked a movie that came out on January 1st, 1999, it would have come out after I was born, by definition of the last episode. Uh, anyway. So, tell us about the plot of The Green Mile. Okay, so the plot of the Green Mile follows a former prison guard named Paul as he recounts his life story to a friend that fits in a nursing home. Uh, specifically, it's focusing on his time as a prison guard over death row inmates and his encounter in his encounters with a man named John Coffey, who was arrested and sent on death row for the murder of two small children, and who was revealed and who was revealed later on in the movie to have like magical killing powers. As the movie goes on, like we see, like death row inmates, like go walk down the Green Mile, which is what they refer to at, which is what they used to, which is the term they used to refer to the stretch of ground essentially between the prisoner cells and the execution chair, like the electric chair. Uh, they gave a nickname, which always feels weird. Anyways, uh, as well as like their again. Uh, they deal with a asshole prison guard named Percy, and they discover that John Coffey was not, in fact, responsible for his crimes, but he still accepts getting put to death anyway, since they can't prove it. Mm -hmm. The movie ends with John Coffey being put in the electric chair, and... Uh, Paul revealing that he and a mouse that one of the prisoners kills keeping as a pet had been gifted like extended extended lifespans by like their interactions with John. Mm -hmm. uh, so initial thoughts on this movie, boy, this like so far as far as like consistent quality this challenge is already off to a better start than the alphabet <laughs> challenge because this yeah. film is fantastic it's great 
Oh gosh. And he, and like, I was, you know, my one worry, I, well, of course m- my mom had seen this movie before. Um, and I watched it with her and she, she of course assured me it was good. And we had plans to watch it even before Jacob picked it out for this film challenge. And I of course got to cross it off of my hundred movies bucket list, uh, poster uh, which so many birds killed with that one stone. Yeah, th- three, in fact, as exactly, um, and uh, but no mice, no mice killed. Um, no mice, because the one mice, because the one mouse survives. Yes, um, and uh, yeah, no, this movie is beautiful, and unlike the other three-hour film. we watched last time around this i mean this doesn't feel like three hours like it It, goes by really doesn't it goes by super quickly i guess i haven't watched a ton of like films of that length i guess like i've watched gandhi which was in class so it was separated over like a week yeah um the Irishman, which of course the aforementioned film alphabet challenge, which and I didn't Endgame like. Game was three hours, right? Yeah, Endgame was three hours, which I mean, I take again, I take some issues with Endgame, and also I I probably should mention I'm a lot harder on Endgame because of um my previous girlfriend as well. <laughs> well we're not gonna get into that, um. Uh, yeah, no, this movie, yeah, this movie doesn't feel like, it goes by, I mean, we paused it for, like, a little bit while, um, we got our pizza delivered, um, had pizza with this movie, uh, My favorite, like, like, I paused the movie only two times, almost to use the bathroom while, like, we were, it was, like, in a down, like, a low activity moment. And the other was because Hulu itself paused the movie at some point randomly. Yeah, I've I've had troubles with Hulu lately. Luckily, um, I own this one on DVD um, because it came with a four-pack that I got my mom for Mother's Day. And, like, it it paused during one of the most emotional scenes in the movie. And because of that, I can confirm that the most emotional scene in the movie is not at all impacted if the film... Scene accidentally gets paused for like five seconds. Yeah, this this movie is very emotional. It's also but, like, you know, okay, I knew it dealt with death row. I knew yeah. about that one particular scene. Yeah. Um, I didn't I wasn't expecting like all the other ones to hit as hard though. So. I I also didn't expect this to be as uplifting as it is. Like, it's surprisingly uplifting at parts. I also didn't know about the fantasy elements. And (laughs) I will admit, when it first happened, I was like, oh, like, that's an interesting way to take this movie. But it makes sense because it's based on a Stephen King book. King book, yeah. Yeah, it would be weirder if there weren't, like, fantastical elements somewhere. Yeah, which is weird because... Shawshank Redemption is also Stephen King. Yeah, it's like one of the 
few most people could ever think of that doesn't have like monsters or magic or something. Yeah. Um. So like, which is another one that came in that uh, DVD pack that I have watched relatively recently, and I love it. Um. Anyway. Um. Yeah, more yeah, like, specifics. First of like, all, I just kind of like the emotional experience of watching this movie as surprisingly uplifting, but also it hits you with bats and smashes you with the train. <laughs> yes, when Jacob had finished it, his um, he he just his message was just, "Oh God, I feel like I just got hit by a train." <laughs> and when he had finished watching it, I had just finished a triple feature. I watched it a while ago. Yeah, um, and I had just when he was watching Green Mile, I was doing a triple feature of to prepare for the battle we'll discuss in the next episode. I watched Lion King, Lion King 2, and Madagascar 2 all in a row. <laughs> and my description for that marathon was that I feel like I had been given my favorite food and then had it taken away and given two awful recreations of such food. <laughs> I will talk more about that in the next episode because we're already like over time and haven't really <laughs> even gone into specifics on this movie. Um, so it's, it's worth noting that this film was nominated for four Oscars did not win any, unfortunately. Which is a real goddamn shame. Yeah, I mean, it was a tough... It, it, I mean, you could say that about just about any year of the Oscars. Um, but it was a tough year. Um, it was nominated... So it was nominated for Best Picture, um, Best Supporting Actor for Michael Clark Duncan, which... Who plays John. Yes, that is a shame that he yeah, did not win. Like, he lost yeah, to Michael like, Caine. So, and I haven't seen that movie that Michael Caine was nominated. I also forget the name of it. Um, but, um... Well, it also worth this is kind of the movie like, that put him on the map for the most part. Yeah, yeah, definitely. Because like, it was relatively unknown beforehand, but, like, this movie just shot him up. Yes, and the one other reason, movie I've like, seen him in is Daredevil. yeah. And like for good reason because he does it. He nails the role of John Coffey in this movie. Yeah, his performances. I mean, you have to be really good to be in a movie with Tom Hanks, and you get nominated and not Tom Hanks. Yeah, and like Tom Hanks also does a good job here too. So it's like, it's just. I... But yeah, Michael Clark Duncan is definitely the standout in in this uh, film. Yeah. It, both in performance and stature, because he is huge. He's a very large <laughs> they, man. <laughs> they they uh, very much emphasize that throughout the film that he he is huge. Um, but he's like he, but he's a gentle giant, and he plays it so well. Um, and it's such an emotional performance, like. The part that really got me crying in this movie, or, or tearing up, I, I didn't, like, bawl, but, like, the-, the Oh, part I that, was bawling. <laughs> yeah, um, the- but the part that really teared me up, um, was when, 
um, at the end when Michael Clark Duncan or, or when uh, John Caulfield is uh, being put in the electric chair and they're about to put that black mask over him and he's like, don't put me back in the dark. I'm afraid of the dark. Because he mentions at the end or towards the beginning, beginning of the film that uh, he is afraid of the dark um, and they agree to like keep some lights on for him. Well, they usually do anyway, but yeah. Um, so, uh, that coming back around in that moment just killed me. Yeah. Oh. I was, I was crying from, like, his last request to that point. I... Yeah, like that, because it's just, Cause like... like and, and it shows, like, even though, like, I mean, the world... The rest of the world sees John Coffey as a horrible person. Like, they think he's the murderer. Like, throughout that scene, the the parents of of the girls um, that were murdered are, like, bas- like, heckling's not the right word, but, like, they're very much, like, you're getting what you deserve... Yeah. Because, of course, they don't... They they think he murdered they, their daughters. Um, but you yeah, see... Yeah, and it like, makes it hard, because, like, they don't know. Yeah. <sighs> um, but you, you see the, like... You see the emotion of the, the guards that have really grown to like this man that is like hated by the rest of the society by the rest of society frankly yeah um and um you know i've i've watched a, a multiple films recently dealing with you know the wrongfully accused uh-huh. uh of course shawshank redemption deals with that uh to some extent um I also watched Just Mercy, which was made free to rent on all platforms, which is a high recommend for sure. Um, uh, so, like, this was... Yeah, and I think... E- even though I would say Shawshank Redemption is the better film, I think this this handles that sort of theme of, of like, a wrongfully accused, like, better than any movie I've scene that I can think of anyway. Um, uh, and it is, yeah, so it, it's very heartbreaking, uh, in that moment. Um, but also very, very sweet that like they, you know, they honor his request to not be put in the dark again. Um, uh, and, you know, speaking of emotional moments, I mean, might as well, you know, address the elephant in the room, which is that, that scene that everyone knows from this movie, where, um, it is the electrocution of, crap, what's his name? Um... Delacroix? Ed, Ed, yeah, Edward Delacroix, which, want to have your mind fucking blown... Sure. That, that's Mr. Noodle from Elmo's World. 
That's the same actor as Mr. Noodle. That blew my fucking mind. <laughs> um. Uh, and he, another actor that is unfortunately no longer with us, uh, by the way. Yeah. Um, because, of course, Michael Clark Duncan, uh, died a while back. I forget what he died from. Did... I th- I forget. Because he was 54, like, that's young. Yeah, I think, I think it was a medical thing, maybe? Like, Something, I don't um, remember. Oh, uh, he was, I'll Google it right now. Yeah, he was taken into uh, Cedars Sinai uh, Medical Center after suffering a heart attack. Uh, um, and uh, was hospitalized for quite a while before his death. Um, and actually, I watched a clip, and I highly recommend you you search up this clip of Tom Hanks speaking at his funeral. And he tells this really, actually, really funny story about how Mark Michael Clark Duncan, when he was a kid, like, got invited to join a gang. And then he, so he joined the gang and went home and his mom made him go back to the people <laughs> in the gang and tell them he couldn't be a part of the gang. <laughs> and they beat the shit out of him. It was, it's, it's just a very, it's a very funny story. Uh, and of course, I mean, it shows that like, I mean, Tom Hanks and Michael Clark Duncan clearly got along very well on set and off. Um, but yeah, so there's the scene where Edouard Delacroix, um, is being electrocuted and up to this point, um, he has had some resentment both towards and from Percy the the uh-huh. asshole um war the asshole guard which my mom told me by the way afterwards that um that actor was uh, was accused of being a pedophile later on <laughs> um cuz apparently he married a girl who is like like she was 16 he was like 20 something uh, and they later got divorced, and she said that he he was basically grooming her. So not a cool dude in real life oh. or in the movie, because um, you know, there's the whole thing <laughs> where um, you have to uh, when they put someone in the electric chair, they they put a wet sponge in uh in between the head and the actual like. Thing that goes on their head. I don't know exactly all the terminology. The like, the metal cap, basically. Yeah, I also um, don't know the terminology. But, I don't really look into electric chair components very often. Yeah, but um, to basically just make sure they don't get fried, um, and uh, <clears throat> while he claims he didn't know that. Uh, he was supposed to wet the sponge. It's very clear that he purposely yeah. doesn't wet the sponge. And so you see this horrific scene of uh, Edouard Delacroix just getting, just, I mean, going up in flames on, in the electric chair. Um, it is horrific and heartbreaking. And... Yeah. Yeah, it's... 
Because like, like he did something like to deserve to be ex- like to warrant the death penalty, but like throughout the movie, we only really seen him as like this sweet, like slightly kooky old man who like really likes his mouse. Yeah, yeah, and and of course there there's a part where um the uh, where Percy steps on the mouse and kills it, and then Michael Clark or um sorry, I gotta get used to actually John Coffey John Coffey him. um revives the mouse um so yeah um so it's it is a horrific scene and it really makes you wonder why why this is still legal in so many states so many places in general um sorry you're cutting out a bit yeah just that like it's it's really just it, it makes you wonder why this is still legal in so many states like yeah. death by electrocution because it is I mean even even with the wet sponge it is horrific um yeah and um, like the, the death penalty in general it feels like we just need to I don't, know, I don't have the opinion that we really need to just like move past the death penalty as yeah which so, again, Just Mercy is another great film that delves into why we should move past the death penalty. Um, but yeah, uh, just because it, it feels wrong to take the life of someone into your own hands, even if they have done a horrific crime such as taking someone else's life um so um another thing i wanted to talk about is um what the character wild bill um oh yeah the the asshole prisoner yes which when i first saw this character i was like huh this guy looks like sam rockwell with a bad haircut (laughs) and then my mom and I both realized, wait, this is Sam Rockwell. Because <laughs> this is one of his earlier roles. Um, he, I mean, he had done some notable work by this point, but um, he... This is, this is one of his earlier roles, or earlier high-profile roles, anyway. And... Boy, it is very different than anything else I've seen of him. Um, <laughs> so, like, yeah, I mean, he, 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 yeah, I think he, I think he does a very good job at playing just a horrible human being. Yeah, um, which is a weird compliment, which feels like it should be a backhanded compliment, but it isn't. Well, I mean, think about like how many um well think about how many people have won their oscars for playing horrible human beings yeah and even then like just playing a horrible human being convincingly isn't inherently easy but like but like saying you're good at playing terrible people just feels like it should be a backhanded compliment yeah uh but i mean like well, well, I I feel like those are the kinds of roles that like because they're so challenging. That's why actors 
really like yeah. gravitate towards those kinds of roles if they can and often get a lot of uh recognition for it um it, it, as long as it's you know pulled off well yeah um your little joker <laughs> uh anyway um but yeah, no, this is very different from anything you've seen of Sam Rockwell. Uh, so, yeah, there's that. Um, I'm, I'm trying to think of, like, what else specific I want to talk about regarding this film. Um, because, again, it's, it's, it's a lot more heartwarming than you'd expect, because, I mean, there's... Uh, you know, obviously there's, um, the whole thing with the mouse. And the mouse actually has some, like, funny moments, too. Like, when it's, like, rolling the little, like, wooden <laughs> wheel. Like, that. that's cute and funny. Um, and, um... And, honestly, like, uh, when I, when I was watching this, it, like... The effects, the the visual effects for like the the magic stuff aren't aren't bad, um, and I was wondering to myself like I wonder why this didn't get like a nomination for visual effects or anything because even if the visual effects aren't astounding, like getting nominated in other categories and having visual effects generally boosts your chances. But then I remembered this came out the same year as The Matrix. Ah, <laughs> uh, yeah, yeah, that would. That would do it. <laughs> yeah, that there was no. Ch in fact, the Matrix won like, I, like I think the Matrix got in like second place for most Oscars that year. Because it won for visual effects and also like a bunch like the sound like I think it won for all the sound categories too. Um. And maybe film editing, I don't remember. Um, but it won for a lot of the technical stuff. Um under you know reasonably so uh and uh so yeah um there there's not much else i have specific to talk about in regards to this film uh not much else specific either really all right well uh final thoughts again it's very good it is i mean there are some parts that are very hard to watch, obviously. Um, I like how we didn't even mention Tom Hanks' character's urinary tract infection, which is a plot point, because it's the first instance we see of um, John Coffey's healing properties, and then Paul immediately goes home and has sex with his wife, um, I also like that we've consistently insisted on referring to John as John Coffee. <laughs> well, yeah, because I mean, like, you just say John, and that could be like anyone. <laughs> um, but yeah, um, you know, it's a very, very good movie, very hard to watch at times, but also surprisingly uplifting. It's got a really nice, like, metaphorical message to it um and uh yeah um and so some really good performances especially from michael clark duncan who is unfortunately no longer with us 
Uh, and uh, yeah, that's that's my final thoughts on this. And my final thoughts are: I think this is one of my favorite movies that has left me emotionally devastated at the finale. Yeah. Which is both a lot and not a lot of movies, but like all of them do a great job, but this one definitely stands out. I think like in terms of level of sadness, it might be this or Logan for me. Yeah. Also, I was just looking at Michael Clark Duncan's um, Wikipedia. I forgot he was in Kung Fu Panda. Oh, right. Oh, right, he was. He, he's the rhino guard in the prison. Uh, ironic. <laughs> <laughs> um, and Brother Bear? What? Who is he in Brother Bear? Oh, God, I forgot Joaquin Phoenix was in Brother Bear. <laughs> <laughs> wow, yeah. Because, yeah, he's the... Joaquin Phoenix is the main character in Brother Bear. He's Kina. Uh, Michael Clark Duncan plays Tug, a wise old grizzly bear. Okay. It's been years since I've seen Brother Bear, so I don't remember yeah. the characters. Like, to be honest, I'm not sure if I've even seen the first Brother Bear. It's, you know, it's... I've seen the second one, and I've played the GBA game for the first one. <laughs> okay. I mean, it's not... Because it's like not when remarkable. I was like, it's not bad, but it's not remarkable. Okay. In like for any the, way. Especially my, compared to the rest of Disney's catalog. It's it's one of the more it's one of the most forgettable Disney movies. Yeah. Honestly, I forget that it's a Disney movie specifically most of the time. Yeah. I th I think my mind just autocorrects to DreamWorks. I think of Brother Bear. Yeah. Uh Nice. Uh, well, now that I think about it, is it one of the few like? Is it might be one of the earliest Disney movies that's not well? It okay. It's it might. It's probably based on something, but I'm just gonna check on that. Um, it's too bad I've seen it because that that would be a good one for 2003. <laughs> um. Uh, is it based on anything? I want to say no. I don't but... see it being based on anything, so... Huh. There we go. Um... Oh! Here's something interesting. That it was nominated for Best Animated Feature, but didn't win. What won? Um... I'm checking that. Because I'm curious. We're just extending the episode quite a bit here, but... Oh, duh, Finding Nemo. Yeah, that's... <laughs> yeah, no, unquestionably the better film. Um, so, yeah, that's it. And I've already told Jacob what my 2000 movie is, but I might as well tell you guys. We're going to watch Memento. Uh, the first of... Uh, well, technically second... Christopher Nolan movie, but it, I mean, the, the first one's like a documentary that's, I think, less than feature length, um, so his first feature length film, uh, and it's also another one on my poster, so, yeah, killing two birds with one stone with that one, um, and yeah.
So stay tuned for that. So next episode, we'll be talking about Memento. We'll talk about Alex versus Simba and also figure out some other stuff to talk about next episode. Uh, I mean, that could technically just be a casual episode, I guess, because uh, there, be. there, there has been a lot more film news we can talk about. Like, I mean, I already brought up Kristen Stewart as Princess Diana, but like, I mean didn't even bring up the the rumors that apparently Michael Keaton might be playing Batman again <laughs> in the Flash movie which I guess makes sense but like wow I, I mean if there's any place for that to happen the Flash movie would make the most sense because yeah. the Flash movie is supposed to be like Flashpoint yeah but also that's been stuck in development hell for quite a while yeah. <laughs> also uh, weird thing, okay, so the Flash TV show had a Crisis on Infinite Earths type thing, and that involved the movie, the, the DC Cinematic Universe Flash, like, dissolving from time, like, being erased, essentially. <laughs> Wait, really? Cause, yeah, because there was a scene with both of those guys, was, like, in a room, like, like in the danger room meeting, and then the one from the, the Flash from the movie is just, like, getting erased from existence are you fucking serious i i'm serious oh my okay is that Ooh, i wonder if that mm, is that gonna happen at the end of flashpoint is that it would be, be hilarious that, if it did I'm is that gonna be how that movie ends because that'd be weird but also i mean i don't know because well hmm Actually, Ezra Miller might not even come up, come back for Flashpoint. Oh yeah, <laughs> based on what we've already true. talked about <laughs> with him, he might not even come yeah, back like for that point. movie. <laughs> um, yeah. Anyway, this episode is long enough. If we get much longer, you could listen to this and watch Green Mile at the same time. Although I wouldn't <laughs> recommend that. <laughs> That'd be yeah. weird, but... <laughs> oh, God. Oh, God, now I'm just imagining, like, the worst possible movies we could dub for dubbers. Obviously, we would never dub Green Mile. <laughs> oh, dear for God, no. For multiple reasons. A, copyright, and B, everything we just talked about. <laughs> yeah. That would be in poor taste. Uh... But anyway, let's, yeah, we're going to end this episode now. Uh, I'm Noah. I'm Jacob. Peace. Audios and scene.